This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement, it's a rewind episode of The Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, or like the computer repair guy likes to call me, the Fintern. You may be asking yourself, how does the computer repair guy know I'm the Fintern? Well, I just took Joe's laptop to get fixed and they found some old photos of the show before the format changed. That had me wondering, how many listeners have actually heard the old Stacking Benjamin Show, as Joe would put it, back in the good old days? I dug through the archives and found today's Rewind episode from 2015 titled, What Do We Think About Market Timing? Your Letters. On this letters episode, the guys cover everything from market timing to diversification, risk, and more. Plus, there's a big debate between Joe and PK, a blogger who used to be part of our cast from the site Don't Quit Your Day Job, about emergency funds. Should you build one up before or after you pay down your debt? While the show format will feel different, you'll find the advice is pretty much the same. And like I mentioned earlier, This episode is from 2015, so it's a bit late to claim any prizes or giveaways. Enjoy, Fintern out. Hey, I'm Dave from thenewyorkbudget.com, and when I'm not rooting for Bitcoin to succeed, Joe, I'm stacking Benjamins. What's better than hump day? How about hump day and your letters? Live from my parents' basement in Texarkana, Texas, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everybody, I'm Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and on today's podcast, you are the star. We are taking your letters. We're going to answer listener letters on paying down debt versus investing. Which should you do? Should you hold off on putting more into retirement plans or opening a Roth so you can pay debt earlier? Or should you get started saving? Also, bonds. Should bonds be a part of your retirement portfolio? And if not, what should you do? And finally, market timing. We've talked about market timing in the past in a negative light, and one of our listeners wants to know why. All that, more, and a review of the movie Focus. That's on today's Stacking Benjamins. And here he is, Mr. I wish he would focus. I almost called you Mr. Focus, but that would be a total lie. The one and only OG. I focus on things that I find important. Donuts, wrestling. My favorite thing about donuts. Ever have a Hertz donut? I say that every time. Every time. Isn't that funny when you have these automatic responses to things people say? Maybe we'll talk about that later. Whenever anybody says to me, hey, guess what? I got a promotion. I immediately think of a line. And then I have to explain the whole line because what I want to say next is not polite. But something that is polite is, and then I have to tell you, because I love the fact that you brought this down to the basement. So I usually have Keurig coffee. The suspense is killing me, seriously. Dude, I usually have Keurig coffee, as you know. We've got the Keurig machine down here. Now I'm using the Keurig machine just to make water. And I have a Pyrex thing that I- Water cup. Yes, that I pour hot water into, and I'm using that aerator you bought, like, nonstop. The AeroPress? The AeroPress, yes. Aer- some pretty gosh darn Aerators stuff. for the thing that I do at the end of the night. <laughs> All that, the wine drinking. Yeah. Yes. But that AeroPress is fantastic. That's a pretty cool little system there, isn't it? How do you do it? Do you do it upside down? Did you look it up online and see there's two different ways to do it, the upside down method? No, I just did it the way that you taught me when you first brought it to the basement, which is just put the little filter in the bottom, pour the coffee in, put a little bit in there. Now, what I don't do, you said to pour the rest of the water just directly in the cup. I actually pour all of it in at the end so it gets even more mixed up, like after okay. I let it steep and then I push it all through. How with long the do you let it steep? Not long enough. 
I found mm-hmm. that I got to let it. The I, longer it goes, the better the yes, flavor gets. Yes, I got to let it steep longer. What kind of coffee do you use? Do you grind your own or? Well, it's funny because part of the reason that I started using it was just laziness. I didn't have any K-cups sitting around and I had this ground coffee people brought over for a party that we had a few weeks ago. And so I used that, but that was already ground. But then I also had these beans. So I started cranking on that. From now, I mean, I'm always going to grind my own. Always going to grind my own. Yeah. We've moved from the AeroPress to now this thing, this Rebel. I have to send you a picture of it. This one I can't buy you and bring to you because it's it's Williams-Sonoma and it's got like a big price tag on it. But You're it's not going like, to bring it to the basement? I will not. No, you can. Well, guess if we ever make money doing this, then you can use some of your money to <laughs> buy one. But nevertheless, it holds its own beans and it's got like dials on there so you can dial up the strength and the size of the coffee cup and like make single cup fresh ground perfectly infused. It's really good. You know, and it's always fun talking about different ways to make coffee, but you know what's not fun? Taking forever looking for your financial products. So that's why I feel lucky that we've got two great sponsors. And if you just go to these two sites, it's like the perfect one-two punch because you won't find interest rates better than those at SoFi. That's S-O-F-I. So head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. So our sponsor knows that we set you. The cool thing about SoFi is that whether you're looking at a mortgage at a personal loan or at your student loans, you're not going to find better interest rates. In fact, you can structure your loans for payment sizes that meet your needs best. So we've talked about this before on the show. Structure your loans so that you're able to make good, efficient payments so that also if you get into trouble that you don't have to worry about where's that money for the payment going to come from. So I know you're excited about paying off your loans but structure those for a little bit longer period of time and pay extra, pay extra on the loan, but also get the interest rate down by going to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. You won't believe how low the interest rates are. You want to show up with a good credit score, but if you have one, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. And then look at your financial products. You know, we look at everything. We comparison shop everything. My running watch broke. And I spent way more time than I needed to looking for a new running watch. You know which one I went with? I went with another version of the one that broke. Yeah, Uh, I told you the one that I have, which is pretty good. Yeah, I love the Nike watch, which this discontinued, but they still had a few. So I bought one. I went to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Amazon to support the show. But with financial products, you know, you don't want to spend all day looking at checking accounts, savings accounts, credit cards to do your balance transfer to get the 0% rate. I mean, if you're not going to go to SoFi and do a personal loan, and instead you want the 0% rate to do the surfing strategy, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And man, things are changing all the time with checking accounts. It's amazing how cool some of these checking accounts are and how easy they make it to bank now. You never have to go into your bank. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Give them a few pieces of the things that you're looking for, and bam, they will tell you which one's best. We've got the best show ever today. We're taking your letters. But before we do that, let's hit the headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Some older headlines, again, OG, like we had on Monday with the pit trading closing. But this happened a couple weeks ago and is worrisome. The New York Stock Exchange closed. 11.32, stock stopped trading. This is exactly two weeks ago, two Wednesdays ago, 11.32 a.m. and resumed trading at 3.10 p.m. because of a glitch. The NYSE said that all orders made during the freeze would be canceled, but trading continued on other exchanges. And NASDAQ officials said at noon that the index's trading systems were operating normally. So they don't think that it was any cyber warfare going on. It was just a computer glitch. Well, the conspiracy folks will say... That's the same time that some New York subway trains apparently were inexplicably delayed. Same day United Airlines was shut down. Same day the Wall Street Journal website stopped working. Was this some kind of coordinated thing? We got a cover up. I don't see the pattern. (laughs) You know, we'll hit them where it hurts. They can't go to work and they can't read the Wall Street Journal. What happens? Can't trade their stocks. What happens if the stock market's closed and you want money out of your stocks? Tough patooties. Yeah, there has to be a market for you to get your cash out. Yeah. But on the other hand, now we say that, and that fills some people listening to this full of fear, but really you shouldn't fear the fact because the market's going to be open most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I think, was it two days? They closed. They obviously didn't open on 9-11. I think they were closed. 
Were they closed four days? I think it was closed four days. Four days, yeah, because they reopened that following Monday, I think. Speaking of of Google um, it, we could do that, but that's way too easy. No, no, no. Somebody will do that for us. So it happens on occasion, right? Market was closed during World War II on occasion. It happens. The thing is, if the market's closed, the sad thing is you don't know how it's going to open anyway. I mean, that is a time of big uncertainty. So what I told people back around 9-11 was they would call and they'd say, hey, I want to take my money out. I'd say, you want to do nothing until we get a foothold on exactly what's going on here, number one. And number two is, if we've done the financial plan right, we have plenty of money in places other than the stock market. We don't want to move. Well, and you got to think about it. If the market was closed for an extended period of time, like around 9-11, and the people who didn't have advisors, the people who didn't have some cojones to stick with it, they're going to put in all their sell orders, right? Sell, 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 sell. And all of those are going to get banked, basically, right? They're all going to get in line. It's like opening Walmart doors on Black Friday. <laughs> it's just everybody's ready to get in. And when that happens, well, the only thing that can happen is it open lower. And you don't want to be at the back of the train, you know, when there's a million orders in front of you all selling and you get this price that you didn't necessarily think. So I would agree with you. If there's, I mean, undoubtedly sometime in our lifetime, there'll be some other calamity that will cause significant consternation. I mean, Lehman Brothers went bankrupt overnight on a Sunday. Right. And I can guarantee you that half the world put in their sell order Sunday night. And if you were first, okay, you got Friday night's price. If you were toward the back end, you didn't. So the frustrating thing is that I know there were a couple times when I couldn't convince people to leave their money in and they said, nope, I need to place a sell order. So I placed a sell order. Then I call them back to tell them what we got. And they'd say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I sold right away. Like you said. Oh, you did. They got a lot less. And you can explain that all day to people and don't get it. But what's interesting is we had two things happen at the same time. Over in China, China put a stock sale ban, which, according to Bloomberg Business, drew scorn from Templeton and Wells Fargo, among others. This is by Yi Zi and Belinda Chow. The China Securities Regulatory Commission said two weeks ago Wednesday that investors with holdings exceeding 5%, as well as corporate executives and directors, are prohibited, prohibited from selling their stakes in the company for six months. The rules intended to stabilize capital markets amid a, quote, unreasonable plunge in share prices, the CSRPC said. While China has already ordered government-owned institutions to maintain or increase stock holdings, the CSRC directive expands the sales ban to non-state companies and potentially foreign investors who own major stakes in mainland business. This all followed after the huge slump, 32% slump in the Chinese benchmark since June 12th. It's funny how communist country decides after they get a little dose of capitalism, OG, how they decide that, you know, when the stock market decides to do what stock markets will do from time to time, they don't like it. Well, and to be fair, a little bit to the Chinese regulators, I'm a big fan of regulators. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Huge fan. Love them. Glad they're there. Oh, there's no tug-in-cheek in in that statement at all. I was just wondering how come no one of them show up to my summer barbecue party. It's, oh, it's because I never mail them any invitations. Yeah, because because there are some people that don't get sarcasm on the radio. Oh, that is... Might uh, be a little. uh, We're like in a mud pit so thick. You need your boots in any event to give them a little kind of... Here in the U.S., we even have trading rules on stocks as well, right? So they've got the curbs, they call them, right? The trading curbs where... If the stock market performs poorly quickly, the regulators, the owners of the exchange can kind of come in and go, whoa, slow it down. We're not going to let this turn into unreasonable selling that quickly. Now, they don't eliminate it. They just slow it down. I've never heard of the U.S. regulators stopping corporate executives from selling. Although I do know that in the U.S., you have to have special, you know, you do special uh, insider trading rules. Yeah, I was going to say not dispensation, but you've got to disclose it in advance. You know, you can't right. just, you got to kind of tip your hat a little bit. So in any event, but you got to take the ups and downs. This is a hard thing about emerging markets. You know, when you're talking about some of these emerging markets, there's huge opportunities we've talked about in the past in places like China, India, Brazil, Russia, or even smaller economies like Southeast Asia. 
The pigs. You're talking about the pigs and the bricks. Yes, or even Eastern Europe. There's some fantastic opportunities, but you have to deal not just with the stock market there, but with the political machines that are in place. That's a huge part of the risk that you take when you invest in emerging markets. And that's why we were talking about Monday when we had the question about international investing and should it be 50-50? Should it be a little home bias? You know, eat your own cooking type of stuff. There's going to be more volatility the further away you get from more regulated, I don't want to say blue chip countries. U.S. has a big system. Western Europe has a big system. You know, the U.K., France, Japan, big established stock market systems. And like you said, if you start trading in Singapore, they have stock market. Of course they do. They have different rules. And I don't know about you, but I don't know a darn thing about the Singaporean stock market rules. You pick the one that I own, by the way. Yeah. Maybe you do. You must know everything about it then. I don't know everything, but I do know enough about that government and how it works, that it's a dictatorship. It's been historically a benevolent dictatorship, but the risk is the fact that it is a dictatorship. That uh, Yeah, one day, right? Yes. I mean, Singapore can change all the rules. Uh, Can change. No one can stop. Yeah, it can change it all. So good stuff. I think the lesson here really is if you're going to invest internationally, that's why emerging markets as a portion of your international investment scheme for most investors should be a smaller percentage. I think so. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh, it is letter day. I love these shows. The letter of the day. Good stuff. We're going to be, we're going to handle like Sesame Street. We're going to handle three. Which is three? Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. Three. Ah, ah, ah. You see, back Two. in the day, did you ever see SCTV? Yeah, you know, John Candy was on SCTV, and Bob and Doug McKenzie. Remember those guys? You do remember? Too young. You do remember John Candy? Yes. Yeah, but anyways, it was the Canadian version of Saturday Night Live. And it was so funny, and it was so weird, and it was so low budget. Martin Short even was on SCTV for a while. That must be the video that I've got where they put out a lot of funny videos around the time the stock market went down in 2009, 2008. It's funny because it's supposed to be like a low budget TV station, and they're putting on like these low budget skits. And so Rick Moranis is one of the Bob and Doug McKinsey brothers, along with Dave Thomas, not the Wendy's guy, but the comedian Dave Thomas. And so just very funny. But whenever there's this guy that would, you know, Masterpiece Theater, and they would have the person on PBS that always introduces the movie and talks a little bit about it. Well, they would have this guy dressed up like a vampire. And whenever he'd introduce this movie, he'd be very scary. So whenever we talk about movies, I always think, you know, when somebody says, oh, I was pretty afraid. And I would go very scary. Once again, 30-minute explanation, totally not worth it. But if you have a chance to watch old SCTV stuff, maybe on YouTube, some funny skits. Letters that aren't so funny. Let's transition, shall we, into people that had letters for us. By the way, by the three that we take today, that's going to put us only behind by 50. So if you haven't heard your letter yet, we're getting to it. And that's why no guests the next couple of weeks. We're going to have letters from you. First one comes from Jill. Jill says she has been a faithful listener. We like those faithful listeners, not the listeners that cheat. You know, don't cheat. Stacking vegetables only. Jill's been a faithful listener to the podcast for a couple of months now, and she loves it. All caps. Thanks, Jill. She walks to work every day, and it's always the highlight of her day when she listens to us crazy guys on her commute. It's wild to think somebody's listening to us as they walk to work. This is a question that her husband and she have been dealing with. He just graduated from undergrad later in life. He's 32 and she's 31. She is very proud of him. Finally snagged a job in his field. Good work. That's nice. So they finally achieved their dreams since they got married four years ago and they have no kids. In total, they make about $95,000 a year. Immediately, they both started contributing the full amount to their employer retirement plans to get the matches. She has a simple IRA. He's got a 401k. Her employer matches 3% of her salary and his matches 5 She's still contributing a bit more than that currently, 7%. So with her employer match, 10% of her salary is getting put into savings. And she feels good about that. But here's the question, OG. They each have student debt at interest rates ranging from 2.8 to 6.8, and they owe about $37,000. So the question is this. How much should we hustle to pay that debt off? Should they delay putting more into their employer plans or maybe even delay opening Roth IRA so they can pay that off right away? Or do they do a blend and tackle both at the same time? She said, 
They want to have a baby in the future, which she realizes could change the financial reality, but she doesn't know. Just slightly. Yeah, but she doesn't know when that will happen. So no credit card debt, very low interest car loan, 2.75% on a car and a very low mortgage. They have 3.25% on their nice. mortgage. Good Clean stuff. There. All right. So a couple of things. Number one, head over to dcu.org, digital credit union headquartered up in Massachusetts. Check out their second chance car loan. So 2.75. When I still had a card note, I got it for 1.49. So tolerable credit score can save you a little bit more. Wow. So it even beats her 2.75. She's 2.75. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Check it out. DCU.org. You, um, you can also, and, by the way, just as an aside, if she checks out not to pimp our sponsor, but I would also go to SoFi. Oh, I was totally going to do that. I would also go to SoFi and see what the interest rate is there on just a personal loan because I know in some loans they have there, it's, it's 1.5 also. So Yeah, so check out, I was going to say, check out SoFi for the student loan refinance. And, you know, if you can do a personal loan for the car, try to get as good a terms as you can. If you haven't consolidated your student loans, that might help. You might be able to get a little bit lower rate by consolidating them. I found that recently when you do consolidations, they're not even really offering a better rate. They're just giving you an average rate of all your loans. You just kind of make it one payment. Which is why, once again, an unofficial student loan consolidator like SoFi. <laughs> yeah. And once again, I'm not going back to them because they're a sponsor OG. I just don't know. No, lower... we should. They're good. Well, I mean, yeah, I just don't know a lower interest rate. Yeah. So. No, if you've got a good credit score, try to take advantage of that. As far as paying off the debt faster, it will all depend on that interest rate cash flow kind of combination thing. If you look at your student loans and there's some that are at six and some that are five, but a lot are at three, hey, you know, 3% is pretty good money. 3% is pretty good money. I might tackle the six and 5% one. If you got a lot at 6% and you've got the payment plan that's 10 years, okay. If the payment plan is 25 years, you know, do you really want to be paying on your student loans until you're in your mid 50s? That's why thought number one for me is when baby is coming, because if the cash flow it's going to take to have, and you know, you've got two kids and I have two kids, man, the amount of cash flow your kid eats is unbelievable. Oh yeah. So yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of money about to leave. $30,000 against a $95,000 income would take several years to kind of get through if you're really aggressively paid on it. But that's why I'm thinking if you can consolidate them, drop the interest rate. And if you can get a one and a half percent interest rate on a student loan, pay that over 150 years. Who, Who cares? cares? Right. I mean, that is great money. That is cheap money. I would not let the 6% one linger. That's pretty high. I mean, you can almost get a credit card for less. I would not, however, do that. I would not do the credit card. Surfing. Shuffle deal that can kind of dry up pretty quickly. If you miss a payment, you get hosed. You know, there's all sorts of like real negative things that can happen if all of a sudden you you get a little out of control with that. So I would keep it on a fixed loan. I would keep it on the student loan side or if you can consolidate it through SoFi and try to get a little, little bit better rate. And if you can get a good rate, push it out. They're going to let you borrow $30,000 at a point and a half or two. Well, and here's the thing. We get letters from people all the time that say they hate debt and they don't care what the interest rate is. But think of it as an investment, right? At this point... You have the debt either way. And really, your opportunity cost is the interest rate on that debt. That is when you pay a loan and you're getting one and a half percent, you're paying back one half percent. It's like a guaranteed one half percent rate of return on your money. Right. Versus long term in the stock market, you're going to be reliably. Yeah. Seven, you, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in, there. in there. So you are going to be able to pay the debt off more quickly, even if you put the money in a mutual fund. The other thing I would add on the retirement plan savings is every, you know, six months, every year, jack your 401k savings, simple IRA savings up a percent. You won't even notice it. And if you do it twice a year, if you go up 1% twice a year, within the next two or three years, you'll be at 15, 16% in your contributions and won't even feel it along the way. Our next question comes from Cecilia. So Jill's been listening to us for a couple months. Cecilia also says she's been listening to us about two months and loves the podcast. She says, thanks for putting it out there. She's learned a, it's a word that starts with an S dash ton. She's learned an S ton already. It's a metric system. Yes. Right. A few times recently. Is that like the redneck metric system? (laughs) Like how do you quantify an S ton? Oh yeah, that's a big old ton. Well, I was reading an article about how hot it gets in Wichita Falls, Texas. And there's three types of hot. There's like hot, hot as fire, hot as the hinges of hell or something like that. There's just, there's three degrees of hot. There's hot, hot as fire, F-A-H-R. Right. Fire, hot as fire. 
A few times recently, she says that me, Joe, and the gang have discussed bonds and whether or not they should be a standard part of a retirement portfolio. The conventional wisdom seems to say yes, but OG and Greg have said they don't like them. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on this subject on one of our podcasts. What are the pros and cons of bonds and what are some alternative to bonds? She thinks Greg mentioned that he is investment real estate and that replaces bond in his portfolio. But I wasn't sure if this was through REITs or investment properties that generate rental income. She said they're in their late 40s and hope to retire in 15 years at the latest and have only about 5% of their retirement money in bonds right now. That's very low for her age based on all the warnings she sees every time she logs into her Fidelity account. She said she's comfortable not being in bonds, but should they have that 40% of their portfolio or something like that, a broad range of mutual funds, which is where most of our money's at right now. It seems like the conventional wisdom warnings that all our investments are too risky for our age. So she's like to hear us well, so, talk about so bonds. Here's my two cents on this. Do we put our gloves on in bonds again for the 30th time? No, no, no. Because I don't even need gloves. I'd take you down without them. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Well, I'm trying not to hurt you. Without bonds, it hurts more. Or without it hurts, bonds. It hurts <laughs> without my, bonds. my jaws. Steel. Stop talking. Let the professional work here. Here's the thing with fixed income. There's two sides of it. One is, is that it's going to provide some change in volatility. You said risk. And I just want to clear up a little myth here. Risk is the risk, the chance of loss of principal, right? The chance of losing your money. Volatility is the price fluctuation of your money. So to get higher rates of return, you have to accept higher volatility. If you have 95% of your portfolio in equities right now, and it's been that way for a while, you've probably seen really big swings in your portfolio. If you have 95% of your portfolio in equities, but it's only been since 2010, you haven't experienced that minus 50 yet, the 50% portfolio loss. So bonds provide, or alternative stocks, bonds and real estate will provide a buffer for that volatility and kind of condense it so it's not as wildly swinging. If you believe, as I believe, that the only sane place to invest money for the long term is in equities, that's how I believe that there is no rate of return as great as equity investing over the long term, and I'm investing for the long term, then I have no risk because I'm not going to go buy single stocks. I'm going to buy ETFs or mutual funds. And so the risk of the entire US stock market collapsing on the same day and going to zero, I weight that risk at zero. I just don't see that happening. I could be wrong. If but you then, do see that happening, having investments well, in any financial... sort of problems. Well, yeah, having any investment in any financial product is... Yeah. So to me, though... There's going to be volatility, but I'm okay with it. And I have the stomach for today. I have a hundred thousand by the end of the year. I could be at 50. I should be clear. I won't be happy with that. (laughs) I won't be like, yay. But if that happens again, and I might point out that it will just because of history, what a uniquely awesome buying opportunity to buy all the stocks in the United States or all the stocks, great companies in the world at half off. So fixed income is going to provide a buffer to that volatility of the ups and downs of your portfolio. And if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, if at the end of the year, we had half as much as we do today, and if that happens, we will still continue to invest our portfolio as planned, then I would say you're fine. If you look at it and say, if we lost half of our money, I would sell it. We wouldn't get to 50% of our money going away. We would sell it as soon as we hit 30 or 20 or 10 whatever number, if you have that number, then you have to build the portfolio to reflect the volatility that you can tolerate. And there's a lot of ways to do that. But then you get both ends of the stick. So if you have lower volatility, you're going to get a lower return. If you get a lower return, that might mean you don't get to retire when you want. That was my point. I think the place to start is when you need the money and then set up the portfolio to reflect that. And the fact that she is in her late 40s, and let's say she's going to do the standard retirement sometime around 65 well, then why would you have investments that over that period of time are nearly guaranteed just because of the type of the way they act and the reason they act the way they act? Stocks, as an example, stocks are investments that have to beat inflation. And by have to, for a company to stay viable and a stock is a part of a company, you own a part of that company. For it to stay viable, not only do they have to keep up with inflation, right, because their cost of goods goes up with inflation, 
They also have to make money for the investors. And what's an investor going to expect? Investors going to probably expect at least a 4% rate of return, which is why if inflation is three and the investor wants four, that's where we come up with a low stock market return over a 10-year period of around seven. And it's also why when you throw in debt repayments, why a lot of the time companies will return around 10 because they have to. That's what they have to. Stocks is a reflection of the company over a long period of time. Where bonds, bonds, you're loaning money to companies. What's a reasonable rate of return you would get on an interest rate on a bond? Well, in a normal environment, maybe 6%, right? 5 6%. So you are guaranteed over longer periods of time to earn less on bonds than you would on stocks. So if she's got 20 years till she needs the money, I don't understand why you would say, I want a product that's going to return me less. Well, and she doesn't need the money in 15 years. She needs one year of the money in 15 years. Good point. Some of that money she needs in 40 years. Yeah. So this takes a lot of chutzpah, right? To be able to look at your portfolio and say, we've got a million dollars. And if it went to 500,000 by the end of the year, I'm okay. we We would just keep trucking. And if you can do that, then bonds don't belong in your portfolio. The thing that Joe and I will kind of quasi agree on in fixed income is as you get closer to needing the money, I would say use the money, just have that distribution in cash. But as you get closer and closer to, okay, I'm going to need to take some money out of this portfolio. I figured out I need $50,000 out at age 65 to supplement my income. That 50000 needs to be someplace that's relatively safe and secure. I think of that as cash because I don't think bonds are safe and secure just because of the interest rate market the way it's at right now. But but we'd like to have two years worth of cash and then just do distributions out of the stock portfolio just like you put the money in. You put it in dollar cost average and we'll dollar cost average. And then if the market starts going down past a certain threshold, we're going to kick stop the distributions from the stock account, let it run its course, and we've got two years of cash to pull the distributions from, but you don't need to put any money in cash or fixed income yeah, because you don't need it for 15 years. That's the first year. So. The, the reason why OG and I don't like bonds right now, let's get into that because she wants to know that. And Greg agrees when we talked with Roundtable about this, it's just the fact that everybody and their brother knows at some point in the game soon, because interest rates are very, very low, the Fed's going to have to move. And when the Fed moves, the rate of future bonds are going to move. And the best way to put this is, let's say that OG's taken out a loan and that loan, he's offering 3% on his money. But then... I want to borrow money from you. You want to borrow money and you're offering 3% for every $100. Say, I'll give you a 3% interest, Joe, if you'll lend me $100. Right. Then interest rates go up. And because it's a competitive landscape, I need money too, or somebody else needs money. And to actually get people to loan them money, they have to get five. Well, my question is, is who are you going to loan money to? The person that offers you 5% or the person who offers you three? You're always going to take five. So the only way that OG can actually get rid of those loans is to take less cash. Is to take less cash. Which means the price is going to go. Yeah. So the price of that loan is less. So we know that bonds that you buy today are going to be worth less sometime in the future. Now, if you hold them to maturity, if you hold a bond all the way to maturity, it doesn't matter. You got a guaranteed rate of return. But if you're forced to sell them on the open market, you're going to have to accept less because the bonds are not going to be competitive with bonds coming out in the future. Well, and I think that most people aren't going to buy individual bonds. Right. They're going to buy a bond fund. And the bond and managers. A bond manager who is going to sell yes. the individual bonds there, not held to maturity. So you are going to experience it. You go out and buy a 10-year treasury bond and get 2.5%. You put your 10000 in. They send you a check for two fifty every year. In 10 years from now, they send you a check for 10000 It's pretty straightforward. And people say, why would a bond manager do that if they know they're losing money? Because bond managers aren't looking at today. They got to stay competitive. And if I'm looking at bringing in customers, I'm competing if I'm a bond manager on my yield, right? Yep. And if my yield is tiny, nobody's going to invest money in that Everybody fund. Else is getting five and I've stuck at three. So I got to get to five. Yeah, I got to get hammered a little bit today so that I pick up new assets later on. I got to look longer term than that. So that's why we don't like bonds right now. I will tell you that in different economies, I do like bonds. And I'll tell you specifically what I like. I do like some individual bonds. And I'm probably never going to go over this much in the show. But there are times when you can get a great deal on an individual bond that's being sold below market value and really get a nice guaranteed returns. So as an example, if I can get an 8.5% rate of return, let's say, in the stock market, maybe, versus a layup 7 on a bond, 
with my clients, sometimes I'd say, let's take the layup seven. The risk is, is that this company's going to go out of business. We know that risk. We're not sure what the risk is going to be in the stock market over that same period of time. But that's so esoteric. It's getting far off the reservation. Thanks for the note, Cecilia. Our third note today comes from Ross. And Ross and I had a few back and forth, so I'm not going to be able to get into all of the back and forth that we have, but it's a great question. He says, it seems to me there's a lot of negativity toward market timing on this podcast, as well as on another show that I appear on where I'm a contributor, the Money Tree Investing Podcast. He said, I don't believe anybody can time the market. However, why would you not use a timing mechanism to help reduce your max drawdowns when there's a real crash? This could be the difference between your portfolio dropping 10% versus 50% like the buy and holders. He uses three different reputable timers with long track records. When they signal the same, he trades accordingly with index ETFs. What's the downside of this approach? Thanks. I will tell you what I think. That, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah, uh, Ross and I actually talked a lot. And here's the thing. There is no downside to his approach. If you're uh, right, yeah. If you're right, there's no yes. downside. What I said was, number one is you're relying on some market timing systems to tell you what they think. And if those market timing systems are wrong, like if you don't know what's baked into that equation, if you don't know what their market timing based on, and you don't understand the why, and you're just waiting for their signal where they send you an email and you just go blindly buy it, as long as they're right, there's no problem. But you got to understand what they're doing under the hood. But then he responded back. He's like, but do you really know what's going on under the hood with the economy? So if you're a buy and holder, you don't know what's going on under the hood. If you just sit and buy and hold, do you still know? And that is a fair point. But let me say this. The second thing is, in most economies, you're not going to have that real crash, Right. And if you are buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling, you have to look at not that return that they're telling you that they get with their market timing newsletter. You have to look at what your real return was versus the S&P 500 in average year. Because I'll tell you, most of the time, your real return versus the index, if it is better, and let's say that it is better than the index, that you found a way to beat the index with some genius market timer the amount of time it took you and the amount of cost in trading cost it cost you versus just buy and hold, you have to ask yourself, was the time and the cost actually worth the work that you did to stay on top of it versus some of the other things people do? I mean, if you're really worried about a 50% downturn, set a stop loss. Places like Ameritrade will let you do this at 15% below the market. So the most you'll lose is 15 and then you sell off at 15% and then you decide whether you get back in again. Sometimes with some of my more conservative clients, we would set stair-step stop losses. So we never sell everything all at once. We'd sell a little bit here and a little bit more if it keeps going down. But that gets to be, once again, gets to be a mess. And you look at a 30-year time frame, who cares if the market goes straight down and straight back up? Yeah, I would say from a market timing standpoint, I guess my philosophy is is that all of the information is available, right? Almost instantaneously to everyone, to all market participants. So the whole efficient market theory. Market timing suggests that maybe it's not. And so fundamentally, I don't think that there's somebody who can consistently... In fact, it's not that I don't think. There is no person who can consistently time the stock market because if that person existed, they would manage all of the money for everybody all the time. And more importantly, everybody would stop getting market returns because it would be a guaranteed thing. So we would end up having our stock portfolios would migrate to returns equivalent to cash because it would be a guaranteed thing. If there was a person who could or a system or a company, why wouldn't everybody use it? And the reason is, is because that person or system doesn't exist. Are they right sometimes? Sure. Are they wrong sometimes? Absolutely. The problem with market timing is that you have to be right twice. You have to know today's the day to get out and tomorrow's the day to get back in. And I submit to you that there were not a lot of people lined up at the doorstep on March the 9th, 2009, who said, oh, by the way, in case you guys didn't know, yesterday was the bottom. I didn't get a phone call on March the 9th. I don't think you probably, were, were you still practicing March 9th? I don't know. Maybe you were. March the 9th, 2009? I was gone right around then. Yeah, you got out of the time. You're like, I can't take it anymore. I had sold um, before then, but I was still working. Yeah. So, I mean, at the bottom of the S&Ps, trading at 600, there weren't people on TV going, in case you didn't know, yesterday was the day. Yesterday was the bottom for this entire cycle. And you shouldn't buy in today. You should beg, borrow, and steal to dump money in the market today because when it's at 600, it's going to 2,200 in the next five years. 
So it's not that I don't think that you can make money doing it. It's just I don't believe that there's anybody who can do it. It's just they don't exist. I just think the time versus money, you know, what's your time worth? Well, that's and, a big point and, of it, too. And what's right? your return going to be for the time that you spend when there's easier solutions to control? I mean, if you're really worried about your downside volatility, I totally agree. Even if you set a stop loss, you got to be right twice, right? You still got to yeah. be right twice. So here's an interesting statistic. The average stock market peaked trough in the year. The average volatility in the year for the S&P 500 is 14.5%. And what I mean by that is, is that from the high watermark throughout the year to the low watermark throughout the year, the S&P on average travels 14.5% down. So if you've got a 12%, almost a 15%, you know, stop Top loss, you're probably going to hit every year. That's an average year. Yet on average, the stock market performs well. And, you know, subparagraph B here, I want the stock market to go down 50% because I'm not retiring anytime soon. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, I'm shopping for a new car and the guy calls me and goes, hey, they're 45 grand. I go, okay, great. And the next day he calls me and goes, they're 22.5. Get them while they're hot. Yeah. <laughs> goes, What's the catch? He goes, no catch. Just a big sale today. I mean, the stock market is the only thing in the world where they offer discounts and people run away. Okay. And it's so cliche to say that. But in the throes of it, it takes massive massive strength, internal fortitude to look and go, eh, you know, geez, trading at six was 20 just eight yeah. months ago. Yeah. Bloomberg back when they had a magazine said it takes guts of steel to do asset allocation. And we've discussed it's so that. Hard. Just, it's but, so hard to stay the course. Cause you're like, Oh, okay. So I'm going to sell 10% of this thing that went up. Okay. I get it. I get it. I love that thing, but are we going to put it in the other cool thing? Nope. We're going to put it in the thing. That, no, this big loser that just lost half its value last year. We're we going to put it there. The truck up and dump money in it. And every time we'd say that, my client would go, are you kidding me? What, you, what are you talking about? Loser. Shouldn't we sell all that and get it in the, should yeah. we dump it all in Apple? Put it all in the one that's done good yeah. is the Did phrase. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so I guess from a market timing perspective, the reason that I can't even quantify it in my head is because I think number one, all the information available is public. So everybody could do the same thing. Number two, there has not been, nor will there ever be, someone who can accurately predict the ups and downs of the stock market. It doesn't exist. So if those two things are true, then all the rest of it is immaterial. I told you it would take us all day to go through three letters. Imagine, we have such great listeners. They have uh, fantastic questions. Thanks to Jill, Cecilia, and Ross for your questions. If you've got a question for us, add them to the pile because we're going to go through them very quickly here in the next couple of weeks to catch back up. Head to my email, joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Bring those on because I'm sure somebody else listening besides Jill, Cecilia, and Ross actually got something out of us talking about those topics. So bring us your question. People are nice enough also to give us reviews on the show. Reviews help us find new listeners, and we're so thankful to people that have taken the time to do that. Our super reviewer for the day that's going on Mom's Fridge Five stars. Listen to this one, OG. The headline says, grows on you like a fungus. We have such complimentary. I'm like, is that a compliment? It's five stars, but is growing like a fungus good? This is by Financial Talk Lover. It says, I was listening to a ton of different financial podcasts. Over time, most have lost my interest and have become boring. Stacking Benjamins at first was not my favorite, but like the fungus in a basement, it grew on me. It's now my favorite podcast, and I'm excited when I have a new podcast downloaded. I hope this review goes above Doug's review on Mom's Fridge. Everything goes above Doug's review. Financial talk lover. He's the only one I strive to be better than, and we all strive to be better than Doug. Thanks for all the dessert and the excellent podcast. You guys are awesome. You're awesome, too, financial talk lover. Thanks a ton. And if you can help us keep growing the show by finding new listeners, by reviewing the show, subscribing wherever you're at, or by just going to our page on iTunes and clicking reviews that you like. All those things help us get new listeners more quickly. Hey, trivia fans, can you believe it? I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm here bearing good news. You're halfway through this podcast. That's pretty darn good news, isn't it? And my job is to let you stretch your legs and your minds with a little trivia. Today's is what the French call the Peace State Resistance. Or, you know, they say it like that somewhere. Anyway, what does the term gap opening mean? When people are talking about the stock market. Jeez, that long pause there really let your minds wander, didn't it? Okay, take a few deep breaths and a cold shower, and you'll be ready for more when I come back with today's thrilling trivia answer. 
And now for something completely different. Pure, unadulterated genius from PK at DQYDJ.net. And PK from DQYDJ.net is back in the basement. Thanks for commuting back in from California, man. Absolutely. You know, this helicopter comes in handy. It is the Stacky Benjamins branded helicopter. Who knew? Yeah, I know. Maybe I shouldn't have bought that before a house. That's that's right. Yeah, the the payments on that thing are going to eat us alive. We need lots oh, of they're intense. We need lots of people to go to magnifymoney.com to so you know, that we can afford that. <laughs> they, you know, they say that boat stands for a breakout another thousand. Someone come up with something that helicopter stands for. Yeah, it, it, and I wonder if it is also like you know boat owners the best two days of their life are when they buy the boat when they sell the boat. I wonder if it's the same for helicopter owners. We'll know. But we're not here to talk about helicopters, man. We're here to talk about something that you and I disagree on. You say, and in fact, it's funny because Greg McFarland says this also: having an emergency fund might not be it, 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 well. Having an emergency fund is a good idea. That's where you and Greg differ because Greg says you shouldn't even have one. You say you should have one, but maybe there's a certain time you should build it and a certain time you shouldn't. So explain that. I'm an order of of operations guy. And, you know, I'm trying to make everyone happy here, too. I'm not saying that your emergency fund is useless. I'm saying that if you have an emergency fund, it's obviously, for psychological reasons, going to help you sleep easier at night and things like that. You can weather a storm with an emergency fund without turning to your wallet and looking at what's in your wallet and everything. So that's what I'm saying about the emergency fund. It's okay to give up a little bit of uh, a return in an emergency fund as long as you meet these other criteria. And, you know, obviously, Joe, we're going to get into that in a few minutes here. Well, but if you say so, this is where we'll get into it. You say that if you've got a 21% credit card, let's say, that you should pay that credit card down first instead of building the emergency fund. I think where I differ with a lot of people is what is the definition of emergency and why do you have an emergency fund? So the, the argument I most often hear is, well, you have an emergency fund because you want to avoid putting money on your credit card. But to them, I say, if there's already money on your credit card, what are you present, preventing? There's not a lot of guaranteed investments in life, but one of them is paying down your high interest debt. And you know what's funny? If you pay down your 21% credit card, the IRS isn't going to come after you for that 21% return that you just pocketed. They will come after you for your 1% savings return, which, you know, that's a little bit of a, a side topic. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know about that one. But basically, you know, that 21% debt, that is a guaranteed return. If you pay that off, you won't be paying 21% to some credit card company. And, you know, that's where I'm coming down. That is an emergency. You're paying 21%. You know, your, your pants are on fire. You know, put the fire out first. But I don't disagree with that. So I don't disagree with the math. Here's what, from my time when I was a financial planner, here's what would happen. I would see people take every dollar and they put it toward that 21% card, right? They get it almost paid down and then the mufflers drag them behind the car. And if they don't have an emergency fund and they don't have the cash flow, if cash flow is tight, where do they have to go? They have to go right back to that card. So then they put the money back on the card and then they get it almost paid down and then the dishwasher breaks. And I would see people go through this PK for 10, 15 years and it makes this sawtooth, you know, up, down, up, down, almost done, almost done, almost done. Yet we would put something in place where we change the behavior so that when they, they would put money toward the emergency fund and then also put money toward uh, the debt. And when those bad things happen, because really you've got two choices. Either stop bad things from happening or have another answer to answer that besides going back to the debt. So if we were able to put some money away on the side, then when we paid the debt down, we changed the behavior. And now we were able to make sure the debt was gone and it was gone for good. But let's say that you have, you know, some unfortunate sequence of events that happens. You know, your car fell apart just as you were making your last payment on your credit card. You know, what would you have done in the past? You would have gone to the credit card anyway, right? Right. So it's not like it's not like massive difference in this case. So what would the difference have been? You would have let more interest payments build up on that credit card and then put it in a savings account that you would have paid for. It's the same thing as paying for it with your credit card. You're just shifting forward the payments that you're making to the credit card. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate. And I, I would say in this scenario, you you do have to go back to the credit card. Like, where else are you going to go if you don't have a fund with money in it? But yes, I'm saying that you should still pay off the credit card first. But that's my point on the fund is, is until you change that behavior, nothing's ever going to change. But even if you change behavior, right, 
if you're about to send, like, let's say you get the stamp on it and you're about to send that last credit card payment and right then your car failed, that's bad luck no matter how you look at it. It doesn't matter what your behavior is. You know, it's your car's fault. Right. But, but, but then, so, but the behavior is now that I have an emergency fund, I don't have to go into debt. Well, the way I, that I present it basically is, and it's, I think, like you said, it's different than Greg's presentation is that an emergency fund is something that you should strive for. It's just yeah. not the first thing that you should strive for. So the behavior change is going to happen. But the reason that, you know, people are, are seeking out the financial advisors, like, like you were saying, or even Googling for these, for, for people's blogs and websites and listening to this podcast, perhaps, is because they, they had a problem. Their behavior wasn't changed. They already have the credit cards or some other form of debt, right? So what I'm saying to them is you got to pay those large debts down. You got to pay those 21 percenters, like you said. Boy, the, That's where I would go first. Yeah, the part that I love that I've never heard anybody present in any of these arguments <laughs> was, was the fact that 21% interest is an emergency. I love that quote. <laughs> Your pants are on fire. That's what it I would say. Totally. Stop, stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> that's, that, that's what mom always says. So, <laughs> all, all right, man. Thanks. Oh, uh, so what's going on over at DQYDJ.net, man? Well, you know what we're doing. We're redefining words like emergency over here. So I got a whiteboard up and we're arguing <laughs> these things, right? <laughs> That's what it's all about. And I love the comments on some of these uh, articles too, because uh, uh, people- Oh, I get, like to sneak them in there to see who's paying attention. <laughs> That's right. People get, people get fun about it. All right. Thanks for playing. Absolutely. Great talking to you. Hey again, trivia lovers. Here's your exciting trivia answer I promised you. The question was this. What does the term gap opening mean when people are talking? I can't say that with a straight face. When people are talking about the stock market. Well, a gap opening is a big difference between the previous day's close and the next day's opening price. If there's a big price difference, usually because there was big news while the market was closed, traders call that a gap opening. Me? I use the term gap opening when I'm thinking about finding a gap to get out of this podcast. Oh, and here it comes. See ya. OG and I are excited to have two sponsors at Stacking Benjamins that we can send people to who will help any of our listeners get their financial house in order. First of all, let's solve your debt problems by sending you to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. That's S-O-F-I. We talked to Dan Macklin about SoFi because they started in student loans, but then quickly moved on from there. We wondered exactly why they started with student loans. Student loans just seem to be a bigger issue for people. There's over a trillion dollars of student loan debt out there. And it was, it really is and, and continues to be a pretty inefficient market. Lots of people overpaying. But we've quickly moved on from that. So as well as student loans, we're now doing other things, including mortgages and personal loans. But student loans was just a, a great entry point because so many people were overpaying. So if you're someone who's overpaying for student loans or for other types of debt, whether it be mortgage or personal loans, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. And... Once you've been there, we'll send you to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Because the thing about magnify money that I find really cool is that they do not ask for any personal information before showing you how different financial products rank against each other. And part of that rating system is just how little fine print there is. So we asked Nick Clement, CEO at Magnify Money, to explain more about their rating system and helping you avoid fine print. Oh, the fine print can get out of control. You'll always see marketing, which tells you this is free or we're even gonna put money in your pocket if you do business with us. But then when you look underneath the hood, you can find fees on top of fees on top of fees. And some, some of the worst are in the world of overdrafts where you can be charged $35 per item. And then after five days of a negative balance charge, another $35, particularly in that area, you see banks that are worse than payday lenders, although they're not advertised that way. So for checking accounts, savings accounts, and debt products that you understand, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money.
that's it, man. Letters down, Chinese stock market, glitches, conspiracy theories, PK, all good stuff. Great stuff. I love that argument with PK about emergency funds. It's very interesting. Love to hear what people think on that one too, whether you side with PK or side with me, because the emergency fund debate is one of the all time, depending on where you sit, it's either a groaner because you're sick of it because we have the same argument over and over and over or you like it. Or there's somebody probably more like you, OG. It's like, why don't we argue about something that actually makes you some money? That's the end of us talking finances from this point in the show on. We are all about movies. OG and I see a bunch of movies. And this is a shock. OG actually saw a movie during the summer because with his kids home, unless it's something like Inside Out, the Pixar movie, he usually doesn't see many. So I was excited when he said that he saw this movie. This one stars Will Smith and Margot Robbie. Came out earlier this year. It's called Focus. what you get when you hire a con man i can convince anyone of anything you see there's a science to getting people to trust you i want in with your current skill set you don't maybe he could teach me in your room that is so bad is it does it feel sexy on your face a little it does okay let's go we're about 30 if margot robbie told me she wanted to work on it in my room. I don't care if she meant it or not. <laughs> yeah. Will Smith, Margot Robbie in this wonderful movie about scamming people. So in the previews, he has a scamming operation. She wants in. This yeah. must be early in the film. Uh, yes. Gerald mm-hmm. McRaney is in. Is he a bad guy again? Because he's been. Who's Gerald McRaney? Gerald McRaney is the guy who's in House of Cards and plays the rich millionaire who's behind the president. Ah, yes. Um, he is in the movie. That's all I can say about that. Ah, so you can't say if he plays a good guy or bad guy. It's pretty easy to figure out. Yeah. So this movie has a lot of like twists and turns. Yeah. It Uh, looks like that from the preview. You figure it out kind of right away and they have a couple of times where they tip their hand, you know, where they're like the movie, the storytellers kind of show you, they set up this thing and then all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, that was a scam. And then, oh, okay, that was a scam. So the movie is very predictable. I'll say that there were a couple of opportunities in there that I was a little confused. That you go, oh, okay. Didn't see that one coming, but not very many. I think if you look, this thing didn't get really great scores on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 56, which means you'll have fun in the movie, but, uh, or it means people either loved it or hated it. I mean, one or the other. Yeah, this was a great $4.99 rental. I'm glad I didn't buy it. This is my usual operation on Apple TV. $4 rental, okay movie, full of holes in the story. They like start out with the movie, like you just saw that kind of accident scene there in the preview. They start the movie with that, and then they say, okay, five years ago, and then they say, okay, three years ago. So is it five years? Is it three years before the five years, or is it two years after the five year? You know, and then you finally figure out where they are in the storyline, and then it turns out the accident's toward the end of the movie, actually. So it's kind of disjointed, bouncing around three years from now. It's like, oh, is from now or from there? She's easy on the eyes. Even from the previous, I had no interest in seeing this movie. And I don't know why, because usually these twist and turn movies, I kind of like. But, yeah, I but thought even like, in the preview, I was like, ah, I don't know. I no, maybe this would be like. What was the one with the magicians? That's that, the one I was just thinking of. <laughs> yeah. That's the exact one I was thinking of. I was hoping it was going to be like that, where it was one long con the whole time. Yes. And you knew there was a con going on and you didn't know how they did it. And when the they twist figured out. when the twist yep. comes at the end, you are so like, whoa, did not see that coming. Yeah, yeah Jesse Eisenberg. Yes. Right? And Isla Fisher. Willie Harrelson. Woody uh, Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, yeah. The original Hulk. Whatever that one. Not the original. I guess it'd be like Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. So that was like one long story that culminated in one event, right? Yep. This was a whole bunch of broken stories like they rob the super bowl and then they rob other thing at the game and then they do this other thing and they do this other thing and then there's this like big thing but you think the big thing goes to you know it's just i don't know are you interested in seeing the new mission impossible yes absolutely 
You know what's funny is that so the early Mission Impossibles, I just didn't like. I couldn't get into them. But the last one, the one where they're in Dubai, that one is just absolutely fantastic. Like the last Mission Impossible was so good. So I'm excited about it. That one would be good. I am geeked about that. And I would love, I mean, I know we just talked about Vacation earlier, but I love the old Vacation movie so much that I hope it's good. I think it's I'm, not going to hope- be. I'm hoping they are. I think it will be, right? I think it's got to be. Why would some of the original cast, namely Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo, why would they sign up for it, even with small parts, if it wasn't going to be awesome? Yeah. Either of them need the money. Man, I hope so. I don't know, though, but some of those, you know, I mean, European Vacation was okay. And the one Vegas Vacation was all right. But the original and Christmas Vacation, holy cow. Christmas Vacation in my house every stinking year. I got to watch that movie. We watch it every day during Christmas. Yeah, it's on like a loop. It's so great. Got a lot of people saying thanks to PK for coming down to the basement again. Head to dqidj.net to check out PK. Thanks to Doug for bringing down the mail. Thanks to our awesome listeners who sent us letters. We love you guys and people that left us reviews. Thank you so much for doing that. And we're glad that you listen and that you ask our opinions on stuff that, I don't know, that's, it's very cool that somebody asks our opinion on what we think about these things. And we're honored to answer that stuff. Coming up on Friday, another short stack. And then on Monday, we're back here stacking more Benjamins. We'll see everybody except OG on Friday. OG, we'll see you back here on Monday. This show is the property of the Free Financial Advisor, LLC, copyright 2015, and is produced by Joe Salcihai and edited by Joe and Isabella Bianca. Special thanks to Joe's mom for reminding PK to wear deodorant. here it's over go home go Here's a headline. Carrot beer debuts in Australia. Carrot carrot beer. Why would you want that? I mean, who goes, you know what we could do with carrots? We could make a beer. Even the wildly innovative world of craft beer today, it's still possible to invent something new. Case in point, the new Wabbit Season Beer. Isn't that great? Wabbit Season Beer from Four Hearts Brewing Company in Australia. I bring this up because of the fact that I had a beer Recently, I ran a half marathon with my brother-in-law and my sister at Cedar Point Amusement Park. It was a really cool half marathon. But afterwards, we're in the park, and they have this vending station that's a bunch of microbrews. So it's microbrews and local wines. So we stop into this place, and nothing tastes better, by the way, than a beer after you've run 13 miles. Even if it doesn't taste that good, it just feels like you're justified, you know? So I got a Hawaiian beer. My sister got a beer. I don't remember what she got, but my brother-in-law got this beer called Not Your Grandfather's Root Beer. And on the website, beeradvocate.com, where people rate beers, a ton of people have rated this beer. It gets a 98%. This tastes, OG, this tastes like root beer, but it ain't root beer. But it tastes so much like, I was amazed when my brother-in-law got it. He took a sip and he's like, said to my sister, and his stuff is awesome. And have you had it? No, no, no. Do you like root beer? When it's mixed with ice cream. Oh, the root beer float. Mm. I just want to go to A&W now right after this. If we had an A&W in Texarkana. But, <laughs> but alas, you do not. But alas, we don't. So luckily, I can keep those rock hard abs. But not my father's root beer. Is this true? It says 19.5%. Is that the alcohol? <whistles> so it's 19.5% ABV. It has a kick. <laughs> it would. 40 proof beer. Be crazy.
Yeah. And when you think about kick, I mean, you don't think about it this way. Cause when I say as a kick, I don't mean it has a like, wow, like you can feel it going down. It just tastes like smooth as silk. Huh? Right. Right. The kick Butter comes milk. about 12 minutes later. Bottle into it. Like, whoa. I really can't taste the alcohol. This is fantastic. Yeah. Good stuff. The good thing is, is that we go to Cleveland for the holidays and my sister reported that the store right down the road from them has this stuff. So that's going to be good. But carrot beer, I just don't see carrot. What's the weirdest alcoholic beverage you've had? Uh, whiskey. That's the weirdest? That's the craziest? Like you've never had something that was... Um, no, uh, no. I used I drink, to get this... I drink red wine and whiskey. That's. I used to get this bar and nightclub magazine. And there were always, we'd try the things out in the back that were concoctions bartenders had come up with. One was called a Blue Motorcycle. And it had Hawaiian Punch, pineapple juice, blue curacao, Grand Marnier, vodka... And one other liqueur, and I don't remember what it was, but it tasted, once again, the Hawaiian punch and the pineapple juice made it really, really sweet. Well, plus, you know, Grey Marnier, Blue Curacao are also very sweet alcohols. And you would have this stuff and you'd think, oh, yeah, I'm just drinking this punchy drink. And then Cheryl would complain. She goes, every night we have Blue Motorcycle, you wake up like a semi ran over your head. And it always ends with like, you know, me and somebody out in the parking lot crying and saying, I love you, man. It just, it ends up being, a, blue motorcycles were a bad night. That sounded like last night in my house. Was it? That was a bad night? Yeah. But, well, you've got guests. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, O.G., who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.